Hello and welcome. I'm Jules B., your host of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. Go with me behind the scenes as I dive into the lives of our guests. Each episode will feature unconventional questions that invoke joy, sorrow, and sometimes silence. Come on in, take a seat, and let's start this conversation. All right, again, welcome, Alana, to Behind the Label, the label-free podcast production. I am looking forward to talking to you today. And just to let you know a little bit about what I know about you, and you can always add to this, I know that you are an eating coach. You have uh, done TEDx speaking. You are a book author. And basically, you're just dedicated to people ditching the diet. Because really, it's all about purpose. Your book is debuting, and it is Freedom with Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is the Key to Becoming Your Happiest Self. That's going to be released this year in November, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, November. All right. And so you reside in New Jersey. You can be found online at freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. But basically, you counsel people to be their best self when it comes to the food choices that they make. So what would you like to add to what I've already said? Uh, you, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, the only thing I would uh, add is that I have a history of eating disorders. So when I was in my 20s, I had three different eating disorders that all went undiagnosed. So it's mm. A huge part of the journey and a huge part of the message that a lot of women are walking around trying to lose weight, restrict calories, and they don't even realize what they're doing is disordered. And they don't even realize that there is a way of life where they can embrace their bodies as they are and still pursue health and fitness, but just they, they don't have to pursue weight loss and they don't have to pursue dieting. Okay. Okay. So when you talk about people not knowing that they have certain just orders what how do traditions play a big part in that because one's culture has a lot to do with what they eat so what have you found when you've done your research you know nothing in terms of someone's ethnicity and culture in that respect because all different cultures eat all different varieties of foods but what i do see is this kind of americanized culture of um having to lose weight and having that always be a goal, especially if you're socialized as a woman. So I see a lot of not cultural, but familial traditions. A lot of women will come to me as clients and their moms had them attend Weight Watchers meetings when they were eight years old. You know, they didn't allow quote unquote junk foods in the house or they had a mom or an aunt that would constantly criticize their own bodies maybe not the child's body but would criticize their own bodies and we we as children and as young people internalize those messages and we're deciding what kind of woman we want to be and what makes a quote-unquote good woman and we learn to believe that it's through being in a smaller body yeah i mean because a lot of things the way that it's portrayed on tv and here's the crazy thing about it I can see, I see fat men standing next to skinny women all the time. And and no one really talks about that, that man being overweight. 
I see overweight newscasters, but I don't see too many overweight women that are journalists that they're showing on television. So it's this perfection, this box of perfection that they expect women to fit into that men have never been held accountable to as well. I'm not saying that they shouldn't consider their help. It's just that we've always been the one that has received the most uh, negative um, comments behind how we take care of ourselves. And so in your experience, let me ask you this. What is the difference between someone looking at eating well as being a purpose versus being a lifestyle? Or is there a difference at all? You know, I, I don't, I don't think that there is a difference. I, and it's such a common misconception that people have about intuitive eating where, you know, oh, intuitive eating is just eat whatever you want and don't care about your health and quote unquote, let yourself go. And it's not about that at all. We take nutrition, we take exercise very seriously. We want you to incorporate those things into your life, but the reasons and the purpose Going back to your question, the purpose for why we do those things shifts when we're intuitive eaters. Instead of it being for weight loss or to achieve a certain aesthetic, we eat well, we eat nourishingly, and we move our bodies consistently because we want strength and longevity and health. And we're so in tune with our bodies because you've gotten rid of all the external tools like the scale and calorie counting, we've gotten rid of all those things and instead have begun to listen to our own body's intuition. And when we do that, our body will naturally crave nutrition and movement. So it doesn't become something that we have to do. It just becomes something that we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see someone that is overweight, you immediately think it is because of eating. Why do you think that's so? Do you think that, and, and I'm not trying to answer the question that I just asked you, it's just that when you look on TV, over, being overweight is always associated with eating. But why don't we include some of those things that can happen from medications and things of that nature? Why do you, you know, think that we don't focus on that? It's so much more. People don't want to hear that the issue is nuanced and that there are a lot of different factors that contribute. They want a very simple, linear clear answer. They want to hear, eat less, lose weight, eat more, gain weight. Calories in, calories out. That is not the reality of it. That is not the whole picture. And I'm not saying that calories don't matter in terms of weight loss and weight gain. But as you just said, uh, medications, uh, chronic conditions, genetics. uh, I was eating under a thousand calories a day for years and years and years. And the scale would not budge because I broke my metabolism. My metabolism had slowed down so much in order to keep me alive that I wasn't going to lose any more weight. I would have to drop my calories even lower and then where would I be? You know, um, the the conversation is so much more nuanced than that person's big hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the statistic is, 94% 94% of people with eating disorders aren't over aren't underweight. Only 6% are underweight. So most people, almost all people by and large, 94% are walking around in normal 
overweight or obese bodies, and they're the ones with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So, what do you find is the most common reason that people don't think in a preventative way when it comes to what they put in their mouth as far as what your research has shown with your clients? You know, it's always, and I see this with my own clients, and I see it also in the scientific research. We are hardwired as humans to want what we can't have. And when we say we can't have the cookies, we can't have the ice cream and the pizza and the chips, it is all we want. It's like if I if I stood here and I said, you know, Jules, don't think about a white elephant. It is the first thing you will think of and you will not stop thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Actually, when you said that, I didn't think about a white elephant. Oh, okay. Okay. You got a strong-minded lady over here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about a white elephant. I was listening to what you said. But I wasn't trying to think of what you were trying to say next. And for me, when I try to think about what that person is trying to say next, then I envision what they're trying to say instead of listening to what they say. So I didn't think about a white elephant at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. But it's, you know, it's just, we, we put these foods on a pedestal and then we deny ourselves them. And then we wonder why you know, in the middle of the night, we're binging on those foods because we told ourselves we weren't allowed to have them. And it's yeah. that friction and, and all these external rules and conflicting rules about what we should and shouldn't eat. I think it confuses a lot of people and it takes people away from their body's intuition. We're not listening to uh-uh. her. It's all around us. Right. Because the body is set up to heal itself. We just have to know the proper way to do it for sure. And that's across the board. But let me ask you this. Tell me about the childhood. Because, I mean, you went through all these things. Tell, tell me some of the things that happened in your childhood that may have led to you having to battle some of the things that you had. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny because I had what, what most would probably consider a very black childhood uh a quote-unquote perfect childhood, if you will. I had parents that loved me, that stayed together. I was middle class. I did really well in school. I got all A's. I was very good with extracurricular activities. I always excelled. And the problem with that became a reliance on external validation, on getting a pat on the back, you know, getting the gold, the proverbial gold star. And what that did was it created an environment where I didn't know how to validate myself. I had no tools to create internal validation. And I actually ended up with my eating disorders in my 20s. So it was a little later than maybe most people. And what happened was I was graduating grad school. And it was the first time in my life that I couldn't measure myself against a metric, like a grade, you know. Okay. And you're in the real world where there are there's no best. There are no A's, you know, and I didn't know how to validate myself. And because I had been socialized my entire life to believe that thin was best, you know, I was always naturally thin, but I I had heard the narrative thin was best. I decided that in order to be the best, I had to be the thinnest. And that very quickly spiraled out of control. Wow. Wow. So now you're here. Mm -hmm. So then now tell me about the first day that you realized you had to do better, you had to change in order to live. What was going on that day? 
Um, you know, I can think of a few days in particular. The first was I had been reading this blog by this woman who looked like she had the perfect life. She was like a fitness instructor and she was pretty and she had a handsome husband and they had lived in a nice house and she just seemed like she had everything together. And then she posted one day and said that she and her husband were having trouble conceiving their first child because she lost her period. It's called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I told her that she needed to gain about 10 to 15 pounds because she had been restricting herself so much and she was much she was much more underweight than she should be. And for me to see someone who I had been looking up to, who I thought had the perfect life, to realize that they in secret had been restricting the way that I had and the consequences she was facing because of it were it was very startling to me. So that was one one thing that I really remember as being pivotal. And then the second was just one day, the, the lowest I got on the scale was another day. And, you know, I don't like to talk about numbers, but for the sake of making the point, I'm 5'4", and I got on the scale one day, and I was 100 pounds. And I just remembered being scared because I was 100 pounds, and I still hated what, who I saw in the mirror. And the, the question in my mind that came up was, what is it going to take? You know, what is it going to take for me to say, enough is enough. This isn't making me like my body anymore. In fact, I hate it even more now. I have to do, I have to try something different because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I had to do something different. Yeah. 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 So what would you do if you woke up tomorrow, 13 years younger, but still had all of your current memories and experiences? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I Oh man, that's not a good one because, I'll, you know, I had I had fun in my twenties. I'm not going to say that they were a total bummer and totally destroyed because of my eating disorder. But you know, I I was so not in the moment the way that I should have been. I didn't, you know, go on adventures and be as spontaneous and flexible and wild as maybe I should have been because I was, you know, I was scared to to have more than one, you know night out of eating or drink, drinking, you know, as a college kid, I was like, oh, I have to, you know, it's too many calories. I'm going to gain weight. And I would say no to all these social events with my friends. And, you know, now that I'm an adult and I'm married, I've kid, I'm like, you know, I really should have taken that advantage of that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's talk about, okay. When you talk about what it is that you do, being the eating guru, as I would say, mm-hmm. When you think about some of the other, some of your other peers, maybe not under the same title, but doing similar work, what's a job within your industry that doesn't exist but should? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's, you know, wow. I want someone, and I try to do this within the niche, but I think more people people need to do it is people need to address the emotional and mindset piece of their disordered relationship to food and their body a lot of people think that they have a problem with food and an aversion to exercise and that is not the case what they have is an issue with their emotions their emotional management their processing of emotions and not knowing the fact that they have control over their own thoughts. Yeah. So I would have 
more intuitive eating, emotional management people. Okay. 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 So when you talk about emotions now, what's something that you're still working on that still makes you emotional when you think about it? You know, I have a lot of mom guilt. You know, I, I'm, yes, I'm a working mom. I'm, I'm actually a high school English teacher on top of everything else. And, and I have this business and I have a three-year-old and I always feel like I'm not spending enough time with him, even though I have very, I would say I have pretty good boundaries around work time and not work time. And I spend a lot of time with him, but there's still that narrative of you should be with your children as much as possible because they grow up so fast. And, you know, I found myself crying the other day because he's three and I'm thinking, you know, he's not going to teach this age ever again and you know in 15 years it's going to move out and I won't see him every day and it's just it's so tough because it, in, in one respect we as women we, we shouldn't have to give up our identity as people we, we we don't have to be just mom but at the same time we have this like nagging voice in the back of our heads that says you're going to regret it if you don't spend more time with them yeah I think that's just society that makes us feel that way mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend more time with your child. It's just that there are also things that you need to do to make sure that your child is okay that may require your time. And I just think that having that work and home life balance, home life balance means so much. And the support system that you have even means even more. So at this point in your life, what's good enough for you? You know, just do, doing what I can in a given day, trying to prioritize, trying to make some time for myself, being present in the moment, and just putting my head on the pillow at the end of the day and saying, you know, I, I did good enough today. I'm proud of what I did today. Okay. Okay. Your book is coming out in November. What are your expectations? Well, listen, I... I want it to be a New York Times bestseller, but we're we're not there yet. We're not there yet at all. Um, I just, you know, when it comes down to it, and that's the thing, like, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So, like, in my mind, it has to be a New York Times bestseller, but I have to bring myself back down to what really matters about this book. And what really matters about this book is that women feel seen and they feel heard and that the my story resonates with them and... They also utilize the really practical and actionable tips and strategies that I put in the book that I tested myself throughout my own journey and that those help the readers and those other women to, um, you know, reclaim their life from diet culture and embrace the body that they have and pursue health without the obsession of diet. So I, I just really wanted to resonate with the people who need to hear it most. For sure, for sure. So here's my last question. If you could relive one day in your life, you couldn't change it though. You could only experience it again. What day would that be for you, Alana, and why? Try not to cry, this is terrible. Um, Yeah, throw your I would say the birth of my son. The birth of your son, you said, or? That's the birth of my son. Thank goodness the birth of my son, yeah. Um, so why did that make you cry? It, it was just, it was so beautiful. 
Yeah. You went through all that stuff, you know, and you were still going through certain things. But just to know that your son, after nine months, pops out. And for the first time, it's like, it's like, you know, what love, you know, got it. Like, and it hits you in a different way. Even more so than getting married and finding the one, the connection just it just is unmatched. Yeah, so I I can understand the tears. Yeah, and they tell you they tell you it's like a love like any other, but until it hits you, it's it's completely different. It's like it's like your heart's outside of your body for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and it's still beating, right? Yeah, it's outside of your body, but it's still beating. And, and- it's terrifying once it's out because you have less control over it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, yeah, it was it was the beginning of the the best thing in my life. So yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, that's that's all the questions that I have for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jules. Oh, you are more than welcome. I thank you. The pleasure has been all mine. And keep in mind, Alana, we're not as divided as we are. Disconnected, really. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. We hope this conversation has reminded you of the power of your voice and the importance of taking the best steps to live a more fulfilled life. Make sure you like, follow, comment, and share. And for more content, check out the Label Free Podcast with our fabulous host, Deanna. And remember, we all have choices. We all have goals. We all make mistakes. But it doesn't have to be behind a label.